from Washington, D.C., and today I'm going to start my journey to find the best flavor of ice cream. For the next six weeks, we're going to travel the world to find the best flavor of ice cream in that particular country. Today I have Samantha, who's here in Washington, D.C., to find out if she has the best flavor. Hi, Hi Samantha. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? Good, thank you. All right. Well, I have a flavor of ice cream that is my personal favorite, and it's called Jamocha Almond Blast. Mm, that sounds good. Yeah. Let's try it out. All right. Here you thank go. Thank you so much. Mmm. Mm-hmm. It's good, but it's not. I don't think it's the best flavor ice cream in the whole world. I'm gonna I'm gonna start my travels today and go and find out the best flavor ice cream in any other country. Thank you so much, though. All right. Well, good luck on your journey. Thank you. Tune in next week when you travel the world to find the best flavor ice cream. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the well here at STSA. If this is your first time joining us for the well, what we like to say about ourselves, we are an ordinary place where hopefully extraordinary things happen because ordinary people come in and then hopefully they get a chance to meet with God. And when an ordinary person meets with God in an ordinary place, extraordinary things happen. And I'm praying that happens in this series as we are starting a new series today called Finding Your Flavor. And before I tell you what the series is all about, you see it has something to do with ice cream. Before I tell you that, let me tell you a little story about a lesson that I learned recently on vacation. My family and I, we usually go every year to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. It's one of our favorite times of the year. We go. We have a great time. We are very routine in our vacation. We stay at the same place. We eat at the same restaurants. We do the same activities. Like I can tell you right now for our vacation next year, where we're going to eat on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Friday is kind of the wild card in it. Kind of see, you know, what kind of early bird specials are going on. We might choose a new restaurant, but pretty much everything is set in stone. One of the things that we love to do is we love to go swimming at the beach. Well, this past year, as soon as we got on the vacation, I noticed that I had a cyst on my leg. Okay, now you say, wait a minute, that sounds kind of like a big deal. It's not a big deal because apparently some people are prone to developing cysts and I'm one of those people. It's nothing. I know it sounds like really gross, like I have a disease. I don't have a disease, okay? It's just basically like a little, a little thing, okay, like a tiny little about that big, okay? Just a little thing that pops up and I get them sometimes on my elbow. I had it on my chest. I had one on my knee one time. It's totally not a big deal. They come and go. Some, we have some dermatologists here from the church. One time in, in between the liturgy and the well, like just before, the dermatologist took me in that room back there and he took this ice thing and he froze it off my knee and chopped off the cyst. It's totally not a big deal. These things come and go. I know it sounds, sounds awful, okay? No one, may, maybe no one will want to shake my hand today, but that's okay, okay? These things happen. I noticed one at the beginning of my vacation. But because it was on my leg, it was in such a place that it became very uncomfortable with my bathing suit. Okay, and it, like, it was just really uncomfortable. And I was like, this thing, like, I hope this thing isn't like infected or anything bad. Anyway, I said, it's going to go and it's going to go away. Well, it didn't go away Monday, didn't go away Tuesday. And I felt like it was getting bigger and redder. And red is never a good thing to see in any, in any place on your body. Okay, red is never good. So I said, you know what? This is annoying. And it's like annoying me as I'm in the ocean. So I'm going to go to the urgent care. Because you're on vacation, okay? So you go to the urgent care. Have you ever been to urgent care at the beach? Have you ever been to urgent care? I pray you never go. It is the worst experience in your life, okay? Because the urgent care on the beach, like from the second you walked in, you realize you are not going to get quality health care. I hope no one works in urgent care on the beach. <laughs> if so, I'm sure like your parents, whoever did was great, okay? But the one that I went to, you're not going to get good care, and you're going to wait forever to get not good care. The place was so crowded, okay, and there was just one little, like, high school kid behind the counter, okay, and then there's one, I, I don't think it was a doctor, okay, I don't know what, I, I honestly think it was the lady who took our order at Denny's the day before, but whatever, okay, she comes out every so often and calls the next patient in. She calls me in, and she basically looks at her for a couple minutes and says, it's just a rash, take some Benadryl, it'll be okay. I said, okay, you know what I mean, like the professional said, so, so that's fine. It didn't get okay, and it continued to get worser, worser, bigger, and redder. Never a good situation. So finally, I said, you know what? Enough is enough. I'm going to go to a doctor. So I found a doctor that would take my insurance. I had to drive into the town and go to like a real doctor. And I went, and I told the doctor this story, and I said, she told me it was a rash and Benadryl. And he kind of laughed. And the laugh made me realize that, like, I've heard this story before. And he told me, it's just a cyst. It's not a big deal, but it is infected, okay? And you probably should not have continued to go in the ocean with, okay? And like, it got infected and gave you prescription medicine. And he told me, you know, how to, like, not to make it gross or anything, but I had to suck the juice out of it, okay? Not like suck, suck, but like a, just to make it go away, okay? <laughs> 24 hours later, 
everything was solved. And he laughed when he told when I told when I told him that story. And his basic response was basically that urgent care, they pretty much prescribe the exact same medicine no matter what the illness would be. And there, boys and girls, is a valuable lesson for us in spirituality. That when you are trying to heal someone, there's not a one-size approach, one-size fit for all people of all diseases. That every disease requires specific medicine. It's not generic, take two aspirin and call me in the morning. It required a specific prescription. That's what I needed, and that's what many of us need for our souls as well. And we in the church, unfortunately, who are also in the business of healing, the church is in the business of healing. The church is not in the business of perfect people. The church is in the business of broken people from broken homes with broken emotions, with broken relationships, people who are broken coming to find healing. That's what the church is in the business of doing. And the same way that urgent care was operating with a one-size-fits-all approach that no matter what you came in with, you're coming out with Benadryl, no matter what. Many of our churches have operated that same way for years. And we have kind of taken spirituality, and no matter who you are, what you come in the door with, we kind of give you a one-size-fits-all approach or prescription for that. I grew up in the quiet time revolution days. Y'all know the quiet time revolution. Many of us grew up in the quiet time revolution. The quiet time revolution was basically where this idea of quiet time came about, which is not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. Okay, quiet time, like Benadryl, is good. But we started to abuse it and that we thought it was the ail, the ailment for every illness. And quiet time, in case you're unfamiliar with it, is basically the idea that every person would spend quiet time with God every day. 30, 30 minutes to 60 minutes every single day. Usually in the morning, start with a prayer. It was like a formula. You start with a prayer, you read a passage, you get a message from God, you gotta get a message, and then you write it in your journal. And this was how we became spiritual beings. This is what you had to do. This was the prescription. And I could measure your spirituality by asking you this question. How many quiet times did you do this week? And I could measure your spirituality. Anything less than seven was the wrong answer. But what happens when my schedule is such that I can't do quiet time every day? Can I not connect with God that day? What happens if I can't do 30 minutes if I only got 10 minutes? What happens if I can't focus? What happens if I don't get a message? You ever had that pressure of you have to have a message from God? You got 30 minutes, you have to have a message from the creator of the universe in the next 30 minutes. So what happens if that doesn't do it for me? Is that the only way to connect with God? I'm not against quiet time. I'm all for quiet time. I think a life of devotional, a devotional life is very important. I wouldn't be who I am without it. But what I am against is the idea that that's the only way. Because while the intentions of the quiet time revolution were very good, very good, what the results, results that it produced was what I call a checkbox theology, a checkbox spirituality, which basically said, if I can check this box, it says I did 30 to six minutes, I follow this formula, then I'm good. And I'm feeling good, regardless of whether, what the rest of my life looks like. And if I didn't do this, then I'm bad, no matter what the rest of my life looks like. Well, Christianity is not about a checkbox. Christianity is not about a set of rules or rituals to follow. Christianity is not a subject to be studied and learned. Christianity is about a person to know. Christianity is not a subject, it's a person. Everything we do in this church is not about following a prescribed set of rules or rituals. It's about getting to know a person through those rituals, through those rules, through those practices. But the person is the key. Said another way, Christianity is about a relationship. Look, when it comes to relationships with people, there's no rules. Like there's guidelines, there's like do's and don'ts, but there's no set of rules that say the way to make successful every relationship in life is to follow this prescribed formula. That this is what you do on the per I have a relationship with my wife. To have a good marriage, that you say happy birthday on the birthday. That you say good morning in the morning. That when she feels this way, you do this. And then when you do this stupid thing, you apologize this way. There's no prescribed set of, of things that you say. It's not a formula. It's a relationship. And anyone who's ever been in a relationship knows then there's no two relationships that are the same. Every relationship is unique. The same relationship, the same relationship, what worked yesterday may not work tomorrow. Parents get this. Parents get this. I, as a parent, I have two children, Michael and Lizzie. 
Michael is different from Lizzie and Lizzie is different than Michael. I have a unique relationship with each one. One is not greater or worse, but they are different. They're unique. One expresses love, okay, by hugging and wrestling and, and rolling on the ground and fighting and, and very much my daughter's like a physical touch kind of a person. My son, Michael, is more of a quality time kind of a person. Loves to sit, loves to have discussion, loves to play video games together, loves to watch football on a Sunday afternoon, nothing better, makes him feel loved. So I'm not prescribing one formula of love in all these relationships. I have a unique relationship with every single person. And you as parents, you get this. Another way, I as a priest, maybe I don't know everybody in this room. Surely some people are visiting today for the first time, but I hope if you're a member of the church that I have a relationship with you, you have a relationship with me. But my relationship with you is unique. It is unique. It's different from the person sitting right next to you. Some of you I have known for 20 years in my life. Before I was a priest, before I was married, some of you I've known for years. And our relationship goes way back. Others of you I've just known for a few years, but the relationship with us is so strong, I feel, if you may, hopefully you feel this way too, that I've even given birth to you spiritually at my hands. Like some of you I've seen, I've been with times. That, that we've, I've, like I said, I feel like I've given birth to you. Like I feel that, that sense of connection. So my relationship with each one of you is going to be unique. And sometimes people come to say, and say people that I know close and say, you know what, Father Anthony, I realize I need to be more respectful to you. I've gotten kind of loosey and goosey and casual with you. I need to be more respectful. I say, you know what, I don't want you to be respectful with me. I want you to be you with me. I don't want you to be somebody else. I mean, of course, respect is not, it's a good thing. I never argue, okay? But you know what I'm trying to say. I don't want you to become formal around me because others are formal around me. That's their relationship with me. But I want a unique relationship with every single person right here. And I don't want you to take someone else's relationship as your own. Well, I tell you that when Christ came to reveal to us who God is, he told us, you call the maker of the universe, the creator, you call him our father. And once he said that word father, he showed us that a life of, with him is about a father-son. It's about a relationship, not about a set of rules. So, while quiet time is very helpful, and I'm not saying it's bad, while whatever you grew up with, whatever brought you close to God, while that's a great way for you to get close to God, I absolutely believe like that's the best. Number one, I cannot say that that is the only way and everyone has to fit your model. And number two, even for you, I will tell you that that is not the only way for you to go close to God because I believe in everything in life, you will hit a plateau at a certain point in time. That if you don't change up the routine and if you kind of stick with one prescription for the rest of your life, your body becomes immune to that medicine, right? Like if you take the allergy medicine every single day, your body doesn't feel it anymore. If you do the same workout every single day, comes a point in time where your body plateaus. I believe our spirits plateau as well. And that's why the goal of this series is to discover different ways to connect with God. And maybe there's more than one way to connect with God. And we're going to see that here in this series. But before we do that, I know some of the stuff I'm saying is shaking up some people. This is shaking us up because we were taught, no, quiet time is the only thing. And someone who doesn't quiet time, we send them out, okay? We shun them from society until they get their quiet time in order. And we kind of think that our way is the way. Well, let me show you. Let's go some scriptural basis right here to show how Jesus came to kind of tell us the exact opposite of this. Jesus came into a world, to a culture, to a people who were very much set on a specific set of ways is the only way. And that was prescribed by God in the Old Testament. We'll pick up a passage here in Matthew chapter 12 of Jesus discussing this. Matthew chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry. And they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat, which was against the rule. They shouldn't do that. And the Pharisees saw it. They said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. The Pharisees looked at it, and the Pharisees said, rule, breaking a rule. We were taught this way. The only way close to God is this rule. They're breaking the rule. Pharisees focused on rule. Jesus, what does Jesus focus on? He said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest. Have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Basically, there's two examples, we won't go into them, where people are breaking the rule, but the relationship is intact. The relationship is okay, but the rule is broken. Jesus is saying, that's okay. Yet I say to you, in this place, there is one greater than the temple. You see, they're talking about a place. He's talking about a one. They're talking about a building. He's talking about a person. There is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. That last sentence is our key there. Jesus is saying there's a rule and there's a person. And you never put person below rule. Person, relationship, higher than rule, ritual. And this was transformational thinking for them when they heard this. Because everything they were taught in the Old Testament, the Old Testament was what? Is there's one size fits all for everyone. Everyone follows this set, of, this set of rules. Everyone prays at the same time. 
Everyone goes to the temple at the exact same time. Everyone goes to Jerusalem at the exact same time. Everyone does everything exactly the same way. And anyone who deviates from that is outside of God. They were, they were conditioned on rules, 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 rules. And Jesus was coming to say to them that the rules were trying to lead you to me, person. You thought the goal was you have to go to the temple to worship God. And that's what I told you. But now I'm telling you that the true temple is me. I'm the temple. So you have to come to me to worship God because there's no way to the Father except me. I'm the temple. It's not a building with bricks and mortar. I'm the temple. That's why he said destroy this temple. And I'll raise up this temple. He's saying it's me. All of those rules pointed to a person. And we now understand that in the New Testament. Another example. In after Jesus rose from the dead, the great story in John chapter 21. In John chapter 21, Jesus appears to his disciples after he had risen from the dead. And he begins to prophesy and tell them what's going to happen to them in the future. And he basically says, all of you are going to be killed for believing in me. Okay, and he prophesies that they are all going to be martyrs. Okay, and they all were martyrs except one. And that was John the Beloved. Okay, so Jesus is having this discussion. And Peter, okay, he tells Peter that you're going to die. They're all going to die except maybe this guy. And this is what happens right here. Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, meaning John. And Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus basically said, you're all going to die, but this guy's going to live. So Peter said, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. You got somebody nosy who asking about your business and you want to respond to them in a spiritual way? You say, what is that to you? And you quote Jesus. And that's basically what Jesus said right here. He said, what is it to you? Peter, I got a path for you that's perfect for you. And that ends dying as a martyr. But if my path for John is live to a long age and live for many, many years and write many books in scripture, what is that to you? Your path is dying, his path is living. What is that to you? St. Paul, my path for you is travel all around the world. Mary who sat at Jesus' feet, my path is sit down and, do, and sit there and just listen. St. Anthony, my namesake, the great first monk, my path for him, he's going to leave the world. Follow me. St. Athanasius, his disciple and our patron saint, my path for him is not he's going to leave the world, but he's going to stand against the world. And he's going to defend the truth of who I am. What is that to you? You follow me. You worry about your individual prescription that I give to you, and you don't try to make everyone fit you or you fit everyone else. Expecting everybody to relate to God in the same way is like expecting everyone to have the same favorite flavor of ice cream. Now, I am an ice cream person. For me, my favorite meal, you want to know my favorite meal. And yes, I say this knowing that when I go visit you, you will probably prepare this. Now, yes, I'm doing this for myself. Yes. My favorite meal, you like to make me, you like to make ribs, and you like to make chicken, and you like to bar those are all great. You give me pizza and ice cream, and I'm in heaven. Like, that's why for me, Easter and Christmas, like after long days of fast, no place better for me than hit Costco and get the big slices of cheese pizza and get the ice cream cone. That's the best huge meal, $4.99. Like, perfect, okay? But not all kinds of ice cream. I'm a chocolate guy. Anything that doesn't have the word chocolate in it is no good as far as I'm concerned. A mint chocolate chip is okay. Chocolate is okay. Double chocolate fudge brownie. Anything with chocolate is okay. But your French vanillas, okay, your butter pecans, your, God forbid, salty caramel, ugh. I think these people who order and proliferate these flavors of ice cream should either A, go to jail, be admitted to the hospital, or at least, at a minimum, be shunned from society. But hey, that's just me. In the end, in the end, what is the difference between butter pecan and double chocolate chip brownie fudge? It's got ice. I don't know what goes in ice cream, but I'm making sense. It's probably got ice. It's got some cream. Milk. Okay. Whatever. And then in the end, they put a little bit of sugar flavored like butter and pecans, or they put a little bit of sugar that tastes like chocolate. But in the end, ice cream is ice cream. And 90% of the ingredients of ice cream are exactly the same. And all of it in the end is, like I said, the same. It's just a matter of a little different sugar at the very end. You know, the spiritual life is kind of the same way. 
Spiritual life is kind of the same way. The core of our spiritual life really is the same. We all need to pray. We all need to read our Bible. We all need to love. We all need to serve. We all need to turn the other cheek. Like, really, our, our spiritual life isn't that much different. But what is different is the flavoring that puts on it. And that flavoring may make all the difference. We all need to pray. Some people like to pray inside the house. Some people like to pray in nature. We all need to read our Bible. Some people like short passage, kind of go really in-depth, spend like a long, can spend an hour meditating on like three verses. Some people say life is short. I need to get through this thing. They did read a little bit more chapters. We all need to love one another. We all need to serve one another. Some people serve by serve the poor. Some people serve by preach the gospel. Some people go on mission trips to Haiti. Some people build orphanages. Like what I'm trying to say is the core of everything is pretty much the same. But the difference in the taste is completely different. Ice cream is ice cream is ice cream is ice cream. But your experience with a butter pecan versus your experience with a chocolate is night and day. One of them does it for you, and one of them makes you want to vomit. It's, it's the same thing. What I'm saying is, in the spiritual life, we need to stop trying to fit in other people's shoes and embrace our own uniqueness and run to God and draw near to God as he designed us. Our theme verse for this series is going to come from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 22. Really, this is the last part, but I want to get you to the beginning to get the context. St. Paul says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Okay, this is our life as Christians. What we do is we enter into the presence of God. This is everything that we do. By a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. That's what I was saying earlier. That all these things were pointing to him. It's about a person. It's about him. Having a high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Say that with me. Say it with me. Say, let us draw near. Say it again. Let us draw near with a true heart. What is a true heart? What is that word true heart? That expression true heart. Other translations might say a sincere heart. What that means is we will draw near to God as he designed us to be. With who I am in sincerity of heart, in trueness to the identity, the way he wired me, the spiritual DNA he put inside me, and I will not try to fit in someone else's shoes. I got to be honest with you. As a priest, this is a difficult concept for me because I am a logical person. I'm a one, two, three person. It is very tempting for me to stand up here, to look back on my own experience, what I see with you, and say, here's the path to spiritual life. One, two, three. Do A, B, C, and it's very tempting for me to say, this is the path that you follow, and you do this, and you're in good shape. And especially if I can make all three of those things begin with the same letter, alliteration, like that's what my greatest desire to do is as a priest. But that's not the spiritual life. Just as in ice cream, I cannot try to force you to love chocolate chip ice cream. I cannot try to force you to like a flavor that you were not wired to like. All I can do is tell you what I like and hope that you discover your way to eat the ice cream. What happens if I tell you chocolate chip ice cream is the best ice cream in the whole wide world and if the only way to experience true joy in life is chocolate ice cream? Chocolate ice cream, chocolate, chocolate, chocolate. It is the best. It makes me on cloud nine. The only way to experience true joy is chocolate ice cream. And then you weren't wired for chocolate ice cream. And then you go eat the chocolate ice cream and it's repulsive to you. You're a butter pecan or a French vanilla guy. What's going to happen next? One of two things going to happen. Either one, you're going to believe that something's wrong with you because I told you chocolate equals joy. And then you eat chocolate and it's not joy. So there must be something wrong with me. There must be something wrong with me. Or false advertising with the ice cream. And that's how many of us are in our spiritual life. We were taught this is the way to God. And if you want to live, be in heaven and experience God, it's this way. And then we try it. And we're scratching our heads saying, what's everyone talking about? So we say, there must be something wrong with me. I'm not a spiritual person, I guess. Maybe I'm just too bad. Maybe I'm a sinful person. Or maybe this God thing it's just a lot of false advertising and marketing. To be honest, that's how many of us, that's the reason many of us left church, if we're honest with ourselves. That's the reason many of us found ourselves far from church, because we went to a church that prescribed a certain way to worship God and know God that didn't jive with us. It was a different flavor from us. And we thought because we didn't get into it, there must be something wrong with us or something wrong with them. And either way, we left the church and we felt disenchanted and we felt left feeling there must be something wrong here. Well, maybe what I'm telling you is maybe there's nothing wrong with the church. Maybe there's nothing wrong with you. Maybe it's just they have a different flavor than you. And maybe what you need to discover is how you connect with God and pursue him in that way. Our key thought for this series, and this is so 
far from the way we, a lot of us were raised. There's one way to God, which is through Jesus. That's exactly what he said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one is arguing that. There's only one way to the Father, and that is through Christ. No one is arguing that. But there are many ways to the way. And that's the way I'm going to go to my grave pushing this one. There may be one way to God, but there are many ways to the way. There's only one bridge to take you from here to Ocean City, but there's many ways to get to that one bridge. And if you look at the life of Christ, you will see that everyone, you had to go through Christ to get to the Father. But people, the Samaritan woman came to Christ by a well. Zacchaeus came to him in a tree. Uh, uh, Mary came sitting at his feet. Peter and John came while fishing. People came to Christ in different ways. And all that matter was that you get to him in the end because he's the only way. But how you get to him can be different. Now you say, hey, Father Anthony, this is a dangerous concept. This is dangerous. You tell people there's many ways. There's one way, and this is the way. Well, I tell you that the church has programmed it into our liturgical prayers that there's more than one way. Something we say every single Sunday, you may not have paid attention, those who attend the liturgy. We say that he was incarnate. He took flesh. He became man. He taught us the, read it with me. He taught us the, the ways of salvation. What are you talking about ways? There's one way. Yes, there is one way. But there are many ways to that one way. And we talk about the ways of salvation. We're expressing this exact concept. That all that matters is that you come to Christ. That's what matters, that you come to Christ. You come to the truth. But the method which you come can differ. Think of it again. Another idea is like medicine. I need to take this medicine. Okay, for those of us with children, you know the different flavors of medicine? Okay, the, 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 the cherry or the grape or the bubble gum. My daughter Lizzie, she will not go near grape medicine or cherry medicine. She needs bubble gum medicine. And what I want to say is, who cares? It's medicine. But the experience for her is completely different. This medicine is, 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 is disgusting. This medicine is disgusting. This one tastes great to her. What I'm saying is it's the same medicine. But that little sugar at the very end makes a difference. The experience, that's the way it is in spirituality. We need to pray. We need to read the Bible. We need to serve. We need to love. But I'm saying if you put a little bit of salt on it, it may taste a lot better for you. So we need to discover what tastes good for us. We need to discover the taste buds that we were programmed with and stop trying to just take it and drink the medicine that we weren't made to take because someone else said it tastes good to them. There's one way to God. But there are many ways to that one way. If you don't get this, okay, before I go through the different ways, we're going to talk about this a little bit, why this is important. If you don't get this, I'm going to go through this real quick. Three things that if you don't get this, this is going to happen to you, and you know you're not getting this concept, three things. Number one, if you don't understand there are many ways to the way, you'll criticize the ways of others. You will criticize, you will judge, you will look down upon the ways of anyone who is not like you. Your way is the best, that's the only way, and anyone who's different, you will judge them. I have a friend who's a priest, okay, in a faraway uh, town, okay, and he, uh, he has a church, which is similar to our church in that they really want to reach out beyond kind of, you know, the, the, the borders of, you know, cultural and ethnic backgrounds. They really want to be like a mission to, to the area that they live in, similar to us, but their way is very different than us. This guy's program, he's all about the poor. He and his church are all about the poor. They do canned food drives. They hand out blankets. They go and they serve meals. Like they're all about the poor. Like on Christmas, they don't do like a celebration for the church. They invite the poor and the homeless and they're in like a big city. So they're all about the poor, all about the poor. And they do all kinds of different stuff for the poor and the poor and the poor and the poor and the poor. And, the poor. and then I see him and some of them in his church will ask me, what do you guys do? So I'll be honest. I, sometimes I get a little bit defensive. Okay, because I feel like not that they're judging me, but I kind of feel judged. And I'll say, well, you know, how many people do you baptize? <laughs> and, 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 you know, uh, how friendly is your connection team? And, you know, I, I, I bet your music team stinks. And I, and I get a little defensive. The truth of the matter is, is that we're just wired differently. And he's wired in a certain way, and his church is wired that way, and they're all about the poor and the poor. And that's great. But maybe I'm wired in a slightly different way, and I'm not trying to judge him. He's not trying to judge me. This is how we complete each other in the body of Christ. St. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I wish that all men were even as I myself. But each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner, another in that. By the way, when he's saying this passage, he's not talking about different ways of doing church. He's talking about marriage versus celibacy. And he's saying, look, I'm living a celibate life. I'm not married now. And I wish that everyone was that way because I wish everyone ate chocolate ice cream. And I wish the people who ate the butter pecan, they repented. And they realized the error of their ways. And they realize the joy that is awaiting them. But you know what? That's how God put it inside them. So we pray for them. 
Okay, we pray for the people who like the vanilla. That's fine. We pray for them, okay? But each one has his own gift. I'll tell you where I see this a lot. Married people, be careful of this one. Married people, especially ladies. Be careful of this one. Be careful of my husband won't be a spiritual leader in our home. My husband is not spiritual. My husband's not spiritual. I never see him read his Bible. He never does his quiet time. I, he only prays for like one minute. My husband is not spiritual. He's not a spiritual leader. I ask him to pray, and I only want to spend 30 minutes in prayer. He don't want to pray the way I pray. It is very dangerous to define spiritual leadership as your flavor of ice cream. And maybe your husband, maybe long prayer. I'm not saying he's exempt from prayer. I'm not saying it that way. But maybe that's not his cup of tea. Maybe while you're out there, maybe while you're praying for six hours a day, maybe he's out there serving and loving people and helping people move and helping people with rides to the airport. I'm not saying this is better than that. All I'm saying is it is dangerous to define spirituality as my flavor. And if my children, it's also dangerous for children, by the way, that I have my children have to fit my spiritual way. My children have to follow because I'll tell you this, if you got more than one child, I will bet you this, that one of them will be like you and one of them will not be like you. And it's very dangerous. You will give your child a complex to make the one who is not like you think that he is not spiritual or she is not spiritual because they're not like you. It's very dangerous. If you don't get this, you will criticize the ways of others. Number two, you'll criticize the ways you'll copy the ways of others. You'll be tempted to copy the ways of others. You'll be tempted to say, that person's spiritual, I'm going to be just like him. Now, while I'm all for role models, it's very good. Mentors, very good. We look at the church, the saints who have gone before us, we look at them, absolutely, this is great, but it's dangerous to copy and paste. True story. I have a spiritual father, a mentor to me, someone who I look up to and, and, and help bring me to where I am this day. But he and I are programmed very different. He is, as we're going to talk about a little bit, in a little bit like different ways, he's a very ascetic kind of a guy. I remember one time, like he's all into prayer and like retreats are like big for him and everyone should be on a retreat and retreat and retreat and retreat and like pray for like hours and hours and hours. I remember one time we were together and we said we're going to spend like, we did like a retreat together. There was a group of us. He was there and he's, we said we're going to do some time in prayer. And he was like driving the prayer meeting. Okay. So he said, okay, let's start with a, a, minute, a couple minutes of silence before we pray. So I said, okay, very good. And there was, he was leading and there was like two or three of us right here. A couple minutes of silence means like two. <laughs> Okay, three, four, five, like six max, okay? I'm not joking with you. We were more an hour and a half in silence. Well, I should say he was. The rest of us were sitting in the back like playing solitaire, okay? I'm not joking. You think I'm joking? Like we're trying to figure out if we go to the bathroom, if we flush, is it going to wake him up? Like we couldn't. I finished that thing and I said, man, that's spiritual. Man, I need to be spiritual like that. That is so spiritual, I'm going to do that. So a couple weeks later, I went on my own retreat. And I said, you know what? I'm going to be spiritual. I'm going to roll up my sleeves, and I'm going to pray like nobody's business prayed. I'm going to pray for hours. I'm going to pray for everybody and everything. The whole wide world. I'm going to pray. I got no job. I'm going to just pray. And I started, and I am Father, Son, and I'm down prostration. And I'm hands up, and I'm thanksgiving, and I'm praying, and I'm praying for everything I think of, and I'm praying, and I'm praying. Eight minutes. All right. So I go back and say, you know what? Like, here we go. I'm going back in. I say, you know what? Pray for the missionaries. Pray for other churches. Pray for everything. Twelve minutes. Who else can I pray for? Prayed for like my college roommate. What's his face? That girl I liked in middle school. She was probably needs prayer. All in all, 14 minutes of the worst time of my life. And I discovered that praying all day and all night will not make me godly. It'll make me crazy probably before it makes me godly. St. Paul says, we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If your gift is prophecy, prophesy in proportion to, the, proportion to your faith. Ministry, ministering. Teaching, teaching. Exhort, exhortation. Giving, liberality. Leads, diligence. Mercy, cheerfulness. Basically saying we're not all the same. Yeah, we all need to pray, but some of us are not wired. I'm one of them to spend two hours in prayer. Like more power to people who can do it. Like y'all are the best. I ain't one of them. That make me crazy. But maybe, maybe, maybe my gift, I can spend more time in the word of God. I can, like for me, well, I talk about me as we get to that. I can sit for two hours in the Bible easily. I could, I could go with a spiritual book and I could sit on a train for two hours easily and read that whole spiritual book. Like that's easy for me. And it would be wrong for me to make you copy me or me try to copy you because we're different flavors. All right. So we'll criticize, we'll copy. 
And third, as we will impose our way on others. And again, you're married, you have children, this is a big one for you. Back when I first got married, all right, when I first got married to Marianne, Marianne and I, okay, for those of you who know Marianne, she's the best in the whole wide world, but she and I are very different. We are very different. They say opposites attract. We are proof that that. Okay, we took one of those, pers- you know, the Myers-Briggs personality tests. Okay, so we found like a marriage test based on your Myers-Briggs. We kind of inserted who we are. No joke. What it said is, if you are not married, okay, then you should consider breaking this up. And if you are married, seek immediate counseling. That's actually what it said. Okay, we are about as opposite as can be. Okay, I am structured. I am organized. I am very much, I like things in boxes. And she, in her own words, is laid back. Just leave it at that. She's laid back. I think I'm laid back, but that's okay. (laughs) When we first got married, the way I was raised, okay, I, when I was raised spiritually, like I measured spirituality in terms of quantity. Spirituality for me was number of hours spent in church, number of services attended, and not just number of services in it, but when you came to those services. You had people, we have long services in the Orthodox Church. Two or three hours on Sunday. Okay, we're about two and a half hours here. So you have people who come in the first half hour, and that's good. Okay, that's, that's, that's good. You have people who come at the very, very beginning, like, you know, at the start. That's, you know, really good. Okay. Then you had me. I get there before the start. That's the way I always was. Okay, I always felt like I don't want to miss a second. And not just that, but I found myself in, like, preparing for the service. I had the key to the church. I would get there early. I would prepare everything, organize the books. I liked everything to be perfect. Like, that's who I was. That's how God wired me. Then you had people. You had the good, the better, the all-stars. Okay, whatever. Then you had the people who showed up halfway through the service. Groggy-eyed, yawning, kind of stumbling into the church, kind of fall for the first seat they find. Okay? We pray for these people. We pray that they would see the light of God. Or feel the fire of God, like either one, like whatever, okay? Whatever works for you. Imagine my surprise when I got married and I discovered my wife is one of them. (laughs) Never fear. I will fix that. I will fix that. By that, meaning her, I will fix her. And I will show her the beauty of coming early. I will show her the beauty of waking up an hour before you need to leave the house so that you make sure that you, you never get late. I will show her the beauty of the morning, the hymns that we say in the morning, which I love, which no one else cares. I will show her the beauty of that. Well, needless to say, didn't work. She never fell in love with the hymns I fell in love with. She never found that her service was in preparing the altar for the service. My wife is a very relational person. She finds herself much as the opposite of me. I'm very much in get this task done, get everything done, the task is done, and then I want to go. My wife is the opposite. She's very much in that once the service fit, like let me minister to people, let me relate with people. And I was never able to convince her or fix her to become my way. But then I realized, you know what? I don't need to fix her. That's how she is. St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.10, by the grace of God, I am what I am. How great a verse is that? Can we accept that in our church? Can we forget about the world, but can we in this church say all of us, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and by default or by, by like logic, by the grace of God, you are who you are. By the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, you are what you are. And I don't judge you. I don't criticize you. I don't try to copy you. I don't try to impose myself on you. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. God made me me for a reason. Because this church wouldn't be what it is unless I was me. If I was different, then the church wouldn't be what it is. And I'm telling you, the church wouldn't be what it is unless you were you. So don't try to be me. Don't try to be someone who told you they're more spiritual than you. Don't try to copy. Find out who you were made to be. And that's the point of this series. That's the point of this series. That we're going to try to find out how God made us to be. Just in case someone here is a little worried about what I just said and said, wait a minute, wait a minute, what about the liturgy? And we tell people come late. Look, I'm not saying the liturgy, okay, the liturgy of the Eucharist, our communal worship, the beauty of it, as you're going to see in a minute when I talk about the different ways, the liturgy encompasses all of them. But I'm t- what I'm saying is there are many ways to experience God in the liturgy. All of our experience won't be the same. Some people, like I said, I find myself in the hymns. Some of you couldn't care less about the hymns. Some people, the icons, okay, the incense, 
Some people in the moments of silence. Some people in the structure of it. Like there's different ways. We all attend the same liturgy, but we'll see in the liturgy what the liturgy is. It's like one big ice cream cone. One big ice cream cone. Where vanilla and chocolate coexist. We're kind of like Neapolitan here, okay? That's, that's what the liturgy is. Where vanilla and strawberry and everyone fits together. We all keep our different flavors. But we all experience the same thing. What are we going to do now? Quickly, I'm going to go quickly right here because I'm running late here, so I'm going to go quickly. We are going to talk about the nine different flavors, okay? These nine different flavors, this is not a biblical list. It's not a comprehensive list. This is based on a book called Sacred Pathways by a man named Gary Thomas. Strongly recommend this book. Okay, you don't have to read it to follow along. I'll kind of describe it all right here. He basically goes through his own experience and says, there are nine different ways of relating to God, of connecting to God, that people experience God. There may be other than these nine ways, but this is just the nine that he spoke about. And we're going to talk about these nine different ways. Each week, we're going to look at two different ways. But I'm going to give you an overview right now to kind of whet your appetite. Okay? The first three are a naturalist, a sensate, and a traditionalist. Okay? A naturalist, you don't need to write these down because we're going to talk about these, like I said, over the coming weeks in the life group. A naturalist, as the name sounds like, is someone who connects with God through nature, through outdoors. A naturalist, you tell him Bible study, they say, forget the Bible study. I learn about God by walking through nature. A naturalist, like we look at a sunset or a sunrise, we say, that's nice, that's pretty. Take a picture, filter, whatever, like that's a naturalist. Look at that and they see the glory of God. And it's a spiritually moving experience for them. You tell them, sit down and study a book. They tell you, walk through nature. A naturalist can look at an ant farm and find some glory of God inside that thing because that's how God wired them. A sensate, as the name sounds like, is all about their senses. Sight, smell, sound. A sensate likes music. A sensate is probably an artist. A sensate is someone who loves to sing, loves to dance, loves to write, loves to, to experience new experiences. This past week, I was in Atlanta for a conference. And, and while we were there, it was a conference for pastors and, and church leaders all over the place. And we were there, and it was in this big auditorium. And when they started that music... I'm telling you, it was like a nice spiritual environment. And that band started. I'm telling you, you felt like the earth was shaking. Like, it was so loud. Okay, and I'm the old guy. And I'm like, uh, can you turn it down? Like, uh, like that's me. And I was surviving. And I'm like, okay, because I like to sing. And then all of a sudden, the light show started. And it was like it was like Star Wars in that place. There was lasers going all around and stuff going on. And everyone's praying. And I'm just like, whoa. And Michael Geragas, y'all know Michael Geragas. Okay, Michael was at the conference with us. And at the end of it, I turned to Michael. I know he's into this stuff. And I'm like, you see the thing and the thing? And Michael was like, yeah, it was so uplifting. I'm like, uplifting? Uplifting what? A sensate versus me. I'm not a sensate, in case you can't tell. The thing that distracts me from praying is a means by which the sensate prays. The things that distract me. You have icons in church. To me, icons, they're great. I, I couldn't care less if they're here or not because my eyes are closed anyway. And if you're spiritual like me, you should have your eyes closed as well. But a sensate, no, the visual, it does it for them. They're all about their senses. A traditionalist, a traditionalist likes discipline, routine, structure. A discipline, uh, a traditionalist loves the Orthodox Church, loves the Book of Hours, the Egbeya, the Book of Hours, which says 9 o'clock you pray this, 12 o'clock you pray this. And they not only love it, but they cannot understand why anyone else does it. And if you grew up with a traditionalist, they let you know about it when it was time to pray and you weren't praying, okay? They made sure you knew about it. Yes, yes, no pointing, okay? No pointing. You can yes inside, but no pointing. The next three are an ascetic activist and caregiver. The ascetic, kind of like I described earlier, simplicity, solitude, prayer meetings, retreats, prayer meetings, other things, prayer meetings. Like they love, they love to be left alone in prayer. They love to fast, they love to make prostration. For them, there's a deep reverence in that, and they connect with God that way. Activist, as the name sounds like, an activist connects with God through bringing social change. Greatest activist, probably most well-known, Dr. Martin Luther King, who many people forget was a pastor, Reverend Martin Luther King. He was an activist. He connected with God by going into the world and confronting the evil in the world and saying, we will not be defeated by this evil. And that was his way of connecting with God. People who are activists love the story of Jesus cleansing the temple, of Jesus going out into the world, yelling at the bad guys who messed everything up and messing stuff up. They love this kind of stuff. Caregiver, 
is not Martin Luther King caregiver, it's Mother Teresa, who find themselves in serving the poor. The priest who I talked about earlier is a caregiver, serving the poor, serving the underprivileged, the people who are on their deathbed, someone who is in need. They love the verse about what you did for the least of these, my brethren. When you fed me, you visited me in prison, they love this kind of stuff. This is how they connect with God. If you're a caregiver, you have probably thought to yourself on many occasions, I don't know why any church would buy a building instead of give money to the poor. That's a caregiver. Why is church building a big building? Why do they need this big screen? Why do they have this? They should give all the money to the poor. That means you're a caregiver, okay? Last three. An enthusiast, a contemplative, and an intellectual. An enthusiast? If you're an enthusiast, you are God's cheerleaders. You are rah-rah, siskumba. God is the great. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Amen. God is great. God is good all the time. Amen. Woohoo! We love God. You're an enthusiast. You come to church. It is time for the music, and you are up, and you are ready. You start bobbing even before the music started playing, okay? And you're ready to go, and you're ready to shout, and then you look at the people who are just standing there with their arms folded, their arms folded, drinking their coffee, and you can't understand what they are doing. You want to say, come on, man, shout to the Lord, baby. That's why we're here in church. You love the verse that says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. You love to lo worship God with all your heart. I tell you, theology book. You tell me I don't need no theology book, baby. I just need to praise God and worship God and live for God and don't bog me down with these theories and the theology and verses. Let's just worship God and love him. Opposite of enthusiast would be a contemplative. A contemplative focuses not on serving God, not necessarily on changing the world, not necessarily even on learning about God, but on just loving God deeply. It's a person who loves to read short passages and go deep inside them. The classic contemplative from Scripture is Mary, who sat at the feet of Jesus. Just sit at Jesus' feet and just say more, Jesus. And, and just want to hear his voice. And then, and then, and then, then you, you, you have people around you. Like, let's kind of play this game right here. You have a contemplative who was sitting at the feet of Jesus. An activist would come to the contemplative and say what? Get up, lady. We got to go change the world. There's stuff going on that we need to take care of. A traditionalist would say, both of you, be quiet. It's time for the third hour. Okay? An enthusiast, an enthusiast would say what? Enthusiasts wouldn't even be paying attention. They'd be singing, shout to the Lord somewhere in the corner, okay? They're singing and dancing and praising. Last but not least, there's an intellectual. An intellectual is someone who draws near through their minds. An intellectual. I won't tell you what I am, but I'll tell you this is the best of them all. An intellectual loves to discover new insights, new truths, loves to read a passage of scripture and say, ah, oh, I never saw this before. An intellectual loves to read commentaries, loves to read books, and loves to discover, like I said, something that I've never seen before. Loves to make connections from this verse to this verse. Loves to cross-reference. Loves to see that you can worship God in knowledge and learn more about him and discover God in new ways that way. I won't tell you which one's the best, but that one's the best. Okay. Is this helpful? Is this helpful? Is this freeing? Is this like, finally, someone gets it. Finally, I, people stop telling me that I'm the crazy person because I'm just singing what everyone else is reading. Finally, I can be free to be who I am and real and not feel judged because I'm just a different flavor because everyone else around me eating chocolate all the time and I never like chocolate. What I hope, what I hope is that everyone during this series, kind of like Steve said in the beginning when he kind of introduced it, is that we would have a greater appreciation for others around us. That's number one. But even two, more important, hopefully we'll discover how we were made to connect with God. And if that is your wish as well, I'm going to ask you to do two things. You have two homework assignments this week. Two homework assignments. The first homework assignment is you will take a flavor quiz on our website, stsa.church slash finding your flavor. Finding your flavor. And go to that website today you can spend about three minutes answering probably like 25, 30 questions, something like that. But they're all like, rank this one to five, whatever it may be. And it will tell you how you rank on each of these nine different flavors of spirituality. You may think that as I was describing this, oh, I know exactly which one I am. Don't be too quick to say that. Because in taking the test, you discover things that maybe you didn't realize about yourself. And where you will really discover that is when you join a life group. 
And everyone should have had one of these, okay, in their, in their handout for today. Did everyone have one of these? Okay, should have had one of these. And if you didn't get one of these, you can grab one at the connection table. You can also see the same thing on the STSA app. This is a list of the life groups that are taking place beginning today. We have several groups meeting today, okay, Sunday groups, that it's still not too late to sign up for. But as soon as, by one o'clock, it will be too late. And why you need to join a life group? Because in the life groups, what we are going to do, each week in this series, beginning next week, I'm going to talk about two different flavors, okay? I'm going to talk about two flavors each week. And then in the life groups, we will not only discuss it, and we will learn from others, because I can only share my experience. I already told you, I am not a sensate. So I can only help you so much if you're a sensate. I can give you some kind of high-level stuff, but I can only help you so much. But where you will really benefit is by being in a group with a sensate and listening to what they have to say and understanding them. Because like I said, your spouse may be a sensate. Your children may be sensates. Your, the people sitting next to you in the pews may be. We need to appreciate one another. But also, you know what we need to do? Every week in life group, not only are we going to discuss, we're going to practice. And every week, there'll be a challenge. There'll actually be two challenges every week. But next week, like I said, we're going to talk about naturalist and sensate. And you will have a practice to do one thing that a naturalist would love to do. And you may say, that ain't me. I say, you know what? If it's just one time in your life that you try it, try it. You may discover a new way to connect with God that you never realized. And we'll try to do something that a sensate would like to do. And you may realize that there's a new way of worshiping God, connecting with God, experiencing with God that you never knew before. So you may find yourself in this. But you got to join a life group to participate in that. Because regardless of where you are, my hope is that hopefully we opened our eyes today to see that it's not one size fits all. It's not one size fits all. And there are many different ways. There is one way, but there are many ways to that one way. And the goal of these next six weeks is to find what flavor does it for me. Because if you eat an ice cream, that's good. But when you find that, that flavor that just hits you just so right, you will experience a new level of depth and intimacy in your relationship with Christ that you may never have experienced before. Let's stand together and say a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you from the depth of our heart that you love diversity. You didn't make us all to be the same way. You didn't give us all the same fingerprint or thumbprint, and we know for sure you didn't give us all the same soul print either. And each person in this room has a unique relationship with you. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand that and experience you the way you wired us to be, to stop trying to fit other people's shoes and to stop trying to get other people to fit our shoes but each one of us would express the God-given talents and gifts that you have designed inside of us. Thank you, Lord, so much for this series. and Open our eyes, Lord, to appreciate one another and to learn how you designed us to be. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the prayers of all your saints. Hear us, Lord, as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.